as they're, as they're leaving. I, if you haven't watched Willy Wonka in a while, and then you watch it, you kind of realize, like, man, this is maybe not for kids. <laughs> um, anyway, <clears throat> a parable. A parable is very simply an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so, for example, a man finds a treasure in a field, and that... That little story shows us what God goes through to make us his prize. And it also shows how valuable God's kingdom should be for us, that it's worth any prize, any cost. And throughout Christ's earthly ministry, he used a lot of parables to depict what God's kingdom was like and to show how mankind had fallen short of how, how God's love would overcome. And to be fair, that's not really what Roald Dahl intended when he wrote his book, which was later turned into the film Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Instead, Dahl just meant it as a scathing reproof against uh, weak parenting practices, overindulgence, and a lack of respect. Still, we can take this, this cult classic film and we can use it as a tool to connect people with the truths of Scripture. It can be kind of a, a sort of makeshift parable. The kingdom of God is like a magical chocolate factory run by a creative billionaire. And the only way in is with a golden ticket. Now, if somehow you've never heard of Willy Wonka, here's a general summary. Spoiler alert. Willy Wonka is a candy maker, and he hides five golden tickets in his candy bars. And the five winners get to have a tour of the factory and a lifetime supply of chocolate, provided they don't break the rules. And throughout the tour, each of the children make terrible decisions with dire consequences. That's as much as I'll tell you. But now, here's how the series is going to work. So each week, we'll explore one of the five golden ticket holders, and we'll see which, what sin they exhibit and we'll reflect on how we see that sin in, in our lives today and how Jesus contrasts and overcomes each sin. So for today, we're going to be talking about Augustus Gloop, the great big greedy nincompoop. And in the film, here's how we're introduced to the character. Let's, let's watch. We began with five golden tickets, like five lucky bolts of lightning, ready to strike without notice at any point on the map. No one knew where, no one knew when the first one would hit. But as you all know, last night we got our answer. While we in America slept, the first golden ticket was found in the small town of Duselheim, Germany. We've been waiting several hours for the follow-up story, and we're finally ready with a live report. Proud VR for the attention of the entire world focuses today right here in Düsselheim, a community suddenly thrust into prominence by the unexpected discovery of the first Wonka Golden Ticket. Its lucky finder is the son of our most prominent pork butcher. The boy's name? Augustus Gloop. Augustus Gloop, the pride of Düsselheim, the fame of Western Germany, an example for the whole world. Augustus, how does it make you feel to be the first golden ticket finder? Hungry. Any other feelings? Feel sorry for Wonka. It's gonna cost him a fortune in fudge. Mr. Gloob, would you mind saying... Mrs. Gloob, would you care to say a few words to the television audience? <laughs> I just knew Augustus would find a golden ticket. Eating is his hobby, you know. We encourage him. He wouldn't do it unless he needed to nourishment, would he? Anyway, it's all right, friends. 
Augustus Gloop. <laughs> Augustus Gloop, his only goal in getting the golden ticket is really to simply satisfy the desires of his belly. Right? When they ask, how do you feel, his response, hungry. And he's sad for Wonka because he's going to lose a fortune in fudge. His idea of just going after what your, what your body desires, right? Just, just living to satisfy the, the needs of the belly. That's something that scripture explicitly warns us against. It says this. It says, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. And destruction is what Augustus Gloop meets. His insatiable desire for this uh, for, for chocolate is so overwhelming that he begins to drink from the chocolate river that Wonka expressly said no it should not be touched by human hands like an apple in the original garden of eden the boy goes straight for that which is forbidden and he falls in and he's sucked up into the the pipeworks of the factory and he's sent off to become fudge he who did nothing but consume chocolate was finally consumed by it. In Augustus, we see the sin of gluttony, the problem of overindulging and failing to care for the body. And that's certainly a problem in our world today as well. Scripture tells us, do, not, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And though our bodies are weak and they're certainly corrupted by sin, they are still gifts from God for us to be good stewards of. That said, gluttony is best understood in a broader context. So the problem is much deeper than just simply overeating. The Augustus character, if you, if you watch the movie and you see him going through this, the chocolate room where everything is made out of, out of candy, and he's, he is rampaging through the whole room, just taking bite after bite of, of anything. He finally ends up on his knees just eating grass, and he's never actually enjoying any of it. Instead, he's, he's just never satisfied. The boy is perpetually hungry, constantly seeking an ever-elusive contentment. Now, whether or not you or I, if we struggle with controlling our food portions, okay, well, we all struggle with the pursuit of satisfaction. It seems that no matter where we look in the world, we never quite find all that we need. But it sure hasn't stopped us from trying. We seek satisfaction in all the wrong places. Sometimes we imagine that if we just had more stuff, if we had more financial security, more disposable income, then we could finally have what we need. So we work and we work and, and we work hoping to get rich and finally rest content. But of course, we see, we see from the richest of the rich that satisfaction eludes us. Consider what John Rockefeller said when a reporter once asked him, how much money is enough? And his famous response was, just a little bit more. Money doesn't satisfy. And scripture says as much. He says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. 
And other times, we're maybe more like that Augustus character, giving in to the desires of our flesh and allowing our bodies to have mastery over us. And certainly can take the form of of food where we eat not because our bodies need nourishment, but as a coping mechanism for stress or for a quick dopamine rush or for reasons unknown. But these fleshly desires, these fleshly pleasures can also take the form of sexual sin, alcohol abuse, drug use, and a litany of other things. And when we try to find our satisfaction in pleasure, what we end up finding is that it satisfies us for a little bit, and then we crave more and more and more. And then an addiction begins to develop. And when that happens, we take these good things like like food or sex, and instead of enjoying them, We abuse them, and they enslave us, and that which we consume can consume us. Someone once said, to a hungry man, a good meal looks like heaven, but when he has eaten it, he knows it is not. It doesn't satisfy. Pleasure does not satisfy. Still other times, maybe we seek for that satisfaction in our achievements, and the level of success that we can attain. And in school, we do this all the time, right? Our aim isn't always to learn as much as we can, just to get better grades than the other students. Because it's less about education, and it's more about ranks and scholarships. And it's the same in business, where the goal is to increase the market value, or to get the new title, instead of simply doing a good job. And again, if we think that attaining a title or winning a trophy is going to satisfy us, well, we are sorely mistaken. In fact, being fixated on our own success chokes out a life of faith and contentment. Christ, in Christ's parable of the sower, he describes the seed that fell among the thorns this way. He says, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word making it unfruitful. Success does not satisfy. And the end result of all of this striving, all of this chasing, whether it's in pleasure or wealth or success, is a perpetual hunger without ever being satisfied. Because we're looking for satisfaction, we're looking for fulfillment in the wrong places. We've taken these good things that have been given to us by God, and we've allowed them to consume us. And so then where is true satisfaction found? And and what is the cure for a gluttonous heart? According to Christ, it's found by eating and drinking deeply of him. St. Augustine is famous for saying, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Or as Jesus said in our text today, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. And he has. He has given us the true nourishment that satisfies a hungry heart. We find that nourishment in the perfect life and death of Jesus. The Bible says that the wages of our sin is death. And the only way to avoid God's wrath, the only way to receive his grace, is through a completely righteous, perfect substitute. And that's him. That's Jesus. He is that substitute choosing not to, be, not, not to find satisfaction in the things of this world, but to find satisfaction in obeying the will of the Father. 
He says when he's tempted out in the desert, and he hasn't eaten for 40 days, he says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And we find the food that endures to eternity hanging from the tree of life on which Christ suffered and bled for the forgiveness of our sins. In his love for sinful people, in his love for you and for me, Jesus went to that cross. And in his suffering and in his death, we find satisfaction. And so does God the Father. We receive life. We receive life to the fullest as the life drained from the blood and from the veins of our Savior. And so we are satisfied. And also, God's wrath is satisfied as the punishment, as the payment for all sin fell upon his son Jesus. And through him, we're forgiven. And so God is satisfied with us because of Christ. And we are satisfied eternally because of Christ. And even today, as we come to the table, we find food that endures to eternity and assures us of our eternity. Here in Holy Communion, we receive Christ's very body and blood for the forgiveness of sin. What was earned for us 2,000 years ago at Golgotha is now delivered to us right here. And we are satisfied and forgiven because our greatest need has been met. And now we know that Christ is for us. And what that means, that means that, that Christ for you means this. It means that we no longer have to find our worth in the amount of our wealth. Instead, we find our worth, we find our satisfaction in him who made us his children, who made us heirs of heaven. And we're confident in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That's 2 Corinthians. And we all know that the, the value of a dollar is constantly changing. And so we don't put our security, we don't find our security or satisfaction in that, but instead in the, in the unchanging God who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. As Christians, we have the full riches of heaven as our inheritance. And so we are satisfied. And Christ for you means that the real path to success isn't found in a business model or in the right amount of elbow grease. And those things can surely help us in our careers, but that's not how we find ourselves in the winner's circle of life. Instead, Scripture tells us that everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. 1 John. And we receive this victory because Jesus is victorious. He's victorious over the grave, and he's victorious over our sin, and he delivers us from all evil, and that satisfies. And Christ for you means that we find fulfillment not in the temporary things of this world, but rather we're sustained by what Christ has done on our behalf. He tells us in John 4, he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And that work was finished on the cross and it was finished for you and for me. And now he makes this promise that whoever comes to him will never go hungry and whoever believes in him will never be thirsty. And so those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. 
So let's not be mastered by our stomachs or try to find satisfaction in, in fleeting things. But let's remember and live according to this truth, that our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his, his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. In other words, though everything else in life may waste away, you will find your deepest satisfaction in him who loves you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you satisfy us with good things. You satisfy us with your grace and your mercy, with temporal and eternal blessings, with your presence. Lord, rather than running and chasing after things that don't last, strengthen our faith to rejoice in your gifts. 